Hello and welcome to Hackerank Radio. This is your host Adil Bandukwala. I'm pleased to be speaking today to Rajesh Chandrasekharan, Vice President of Technology at Bukuvaram, the Y Combinator and Valar Ventures backed technology company building the digital infrastructure for MSMEs in Indonesia. Rajesh has over 23 years plus of exceptional leadership experiences at multinational brands like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, as well as top Indian startups like Flipkart and Ola. He has a great passion for technical excellence but puts more emphasis on having a people first mindset. He loves consumer or merchant facing companies that can use technology to transform people's lives. He has spent 15 years of his career as a core developer. In fact, he was one of the core developers that built .NET and was responsible for all the class libraries. Rajesh recently joined Bukuvaram and loves the young company for its passion, energy levels and ability to impact. Rajesh, welcome to Hackerank Radio. Thank you Adil, thank you so much for that warm introduction. Yeah, it's actually the base class libraries, but yeah, that's quite interesting. Rajesh, some think of it as the most challenging period for a company when you're trying to go from idea to MVP. What's your definition of the 0 to 1 phase of a startup or particularly the PMF phase, the product market fit phase? And at what stage are you currently at Bukuvaram? I think before I answer this, let me just provide a little bit more context on Bukuvaram itself because many of our audience may not really know what we do so bukuvarung if i take the term itself you can say the varung is literally your shops and the buku is like the bookkeeping right so the company is kind of named and started on that so bukuvarung is building like a digital infrastructure for about 60 million uh, msmes which is your micro small medium enterprises in indonesia just for reference we are like about 4.8 trading on glassdoor we have a very vibrant uh, people centric uh, culture in terms of the startup and the app itself the bukuvarung app has 6.5 million registered merchants in more than 750 cities and uh, we also processed about uh, 2 billion dollars annually digital payments and we are sort of on a journey to you know become like a super app that can solve the problem for the merchants so we started with bookkeeping but you can do things like utilities transfer money take loans and, and much more and so on and so forth and we have a 4.4 rating on pay store so that should kind of give you a little bit of the backdrop around which i will talk about the earlier part of the journey you know i was not part of this journey but but the history is something like that the startup journey started uh, somewhere early in 2019 and our founder uh, chinmay and one of our founding engineers they were both flatmates at one point and uh, through that they actually met the other founder who was abinay and these guys used to discuss a lot of startup ideas but you know like you get excited and all of us do that and but they didn't really do anything about it and while traveling to indonesia they noticed like a clear pattern of like people writing all the dues on a piece of paper and for someone who uses split pies for every dollar it was very strange why anyone write on a piece of paper when you can record it on a phone so the founders which is like chinmay and abinay a deep dive into the problem and they discussed a lot of merchants like i heard numbers like 400 i don't know the exact numbers is not there and local connections to understand this behavior further and they figured out that most of the people who are doing this out of habit others are doing it because there's no app that can handle it more conveniently so that clearly showed you know how underserved that segment was the msme segment and so with this backdrop in mind they started with the mvp it is a very simple app 
that helps merchants take notes of the dues. It took about like a week to build and they immediately organized a merchant community event in Jakarta. And they were dreaming of like a big launch event, but they didn't have money to do anything fancy. So it was just about like 60 merchants sitting in a room listening to founders when the founding engineer was fixing the bugs. Most of the merchants liked the app and others provided feedback to improve it. And after the event, they launched the app into Play Store. And as soon as the app went live, they started checking feature metrics. They got 50 transactions on day one. Most of the records were from early merchants they met. And these merchants were also, you know, the sounding board or the marketing team. They liked the product, share the feedback in the networks. And the network's fairly strong. So they were able to reach about 10K merchants within two months with 94% monthly retention. Now, now, we all know with so many apps, that's a pretty good number, right? So the main takeaway was like, you know, during the product market fit phase, if you're carefully listening to user problems, I mean, what are your customer segments? And you connect with them and you're serving some latent need or some problem that they have, then it can work out really well. And that is a story for Bookworm. Others could have a different you know, story, but because it was customer-centric in that sense and took like a segment, it worked out beautifully. I think it summed up beautifully, Rajesh, the fact that, uh, you know, the founders identified the problem when they were traveling. They spoke to about 400 odd people and then they went about prioritizing their needs, building an app, launching it with 60 people and then putting it up on the app store and gradually building it. It's just fascinating how this has grown all the way to 6.5 million merchants, like you were saying, and y'all are doing the $2 billion annualized in digital payments. It's just fascinating. Let's go a little deeper. In 2020, the number of new business applications almost doubled from a decade earlier in the US market alone. And as the world welcomes more startups every day, what do you think companies need to start doing differently in the zero to one phase to succeed? Yeah, see, it's slightly hard for me to generalize here because uh, Depends uh, companies who are disrupting new markets, creating new markets, you know, all kinds of things uh, that happen. But one thing that has probably stood the test of uh, time is if you are able to identify or pick problem statements that have clear customer benefits. And in our case, like for Bookworm, we are clearly connected to our merchant community. And even for the company, outserving our merchants is a core value on the basis on exactly those same principles. And we live it day in and day out. We are very closely connected to our merchant community. We listen to the problems, iterate, we build and fine-tune and optimize. Right. So as we go deeper and deeper, we find that we are able to have a deeper understanding of the use cases and also address it for our merchant ecosystem. So that worked very well, the customer-centric view. But I realize there can be other models too, and so I will not be able to generalize here. That makes sense. Let's talk about hiring engineers because for each of these companies like you that are building deep tech, trying to solve problems for millions of users and try and process billions in terms of payment transactions, I think one of the core things we need to do is hire engineers. What do you look for when hiring tech talent? Yeah, so for us, like we could say we are in the fintech space and we also have an e-commerce product called Tokuko, which has like 4.6 Play Store rating where merchants can sell in the network, right? So that's the other part that we have. But like, you know, if you look at Bookworm sort of as the super app that I described earlier, obviously all the good work is done by engineers and that's very core to what we do. So what we specifically look for in a startup 
is engineers who have good energy levels, there's hunger, you know, for accomplishing something, there's a desire to learn new things, and they can pretty much like move fast and deliver. A startup main value addition, I think, is the ability to kind of get things done, and you're going after a new market segment, and every engineer for us is valuable. So from a process point of view, it would translate to something like, you know, maybe just to keep it scalable, there's a hacker rank test. You know, and then we probably have rounds that cover like coding, problem solving, data structures, design interviews for more senior folks. And then we do like a hiring manager and a culture round. And primarily we do that in the culture round looking for folks that align with, you know, our company values, like having a very strong ownership and being able to move fast. I think those, among other things, these are like core and fundamental because we as a startup want to kind of get things. And we believe like good talent comes from everywhere. So we don't really try to say that, oh, okay, it has to be only this branded institute or not, or looking at grades. We look to see what the person has to offer, what they have done in the past, how they can showcase the skills in the interviews. And in terms of what they can also expect, there's like hybrid workplace, people are working remotely. We also have a very strong engineering culture. You know, we do like weekly architectural design reviews, bi-weekly tech talks. We take pride in writing unit tests and in engineering in general. So we also look for folks that will resonate with those values, right? We don't want to just have people hacking things together. We want to build quality products. And those things show up also in, you know, some of our Play Store scores. So we try to also optimize the load times and many of those things that so that people love our application. Now that's good insight, Rajesh. You know, we started by talking about Buku Warang, the company. We then delved a little bit into what the zero to one phase is like. And then you talked about hiring engineers and what the culture is like at Buku. Let's now move to process. You know, in the flurry of activity during the initial stages of a company, process management is often forgotten. Curious to know, according to you, when should companies look into their processes specifically and what all should be considered? Would love to get some insights into what this looks like as of today for Bukuwaram. Yeah, see, in terms of processes, I also think it depends on what were the initial folks that come and start the company and the company's culture, early engineers. So it's hard to really generalize in terms of having a single answer because I've seen several different models, you know, people working day to day, people like sprints. And in the earlier days, from whatever I've heard, you know, things were slightly more, uh, I would say, less optimized in terms of like process engineering, you know, requirements would be done on a Jira and so on. Like you can guess like in an early startup and then people figuring things out. But what happens as a consequence of that is uh, the releases can get delayed because if the requirements are not fully done, then uh, you are trying to figure it out on the fly. PRDs might be a little bit looser. But over time, uh, once you have a culture of uh, iterating and uh, looking at retrospectives and sort of figuring out what you can do better, you're definitely able to optimize the processes. But what I also found is this Darwinian mechanism is also a little bit slow, right? Because it's possible that in many cases, there are a lot of folks who've been around, more experienced people who come in from the industry and who've seen better ways to do these things things, myself included and many other leaders, so we're able to bring decisions you can do, some these things work, those things don't work. Like some concrete examples could be like how much of tech depth you percentage you keep versus not, or like how do you balance out these things, right? And as doing many of these things, we've now at a point that we have very clear uh, two-week print cycles and releases. 
decent PRD templates, like I already mentioned for like a design architecture forum, which we use for large designs, like a design by committee process. We follow good coding practices, like we use a good format on the coding guidelines. And we also make sure that for new code, try to achieve somewhere like 70-85% code coverage. And then finally, regardless of what we do, there's always a scope to improve and learn, right? So the mindset of continuous improvement, I think, is really the nutshell. So we do retrospectives. And then we say, hey, let's not boil the ocean. Let's take like a few things so that it doesn't repeat again. So we do retrospectives, not only at a sprint level, but, you know, it could be like a quarterly planning. I mean, retrospectives basically help you learn from your mistakes. And then there's always going to be new people and new mistakes made. And then you'll kind of figure out how to optimize it. So continuously doing that, you're able to refine your process so that it works for your organization, right? Rather than saying there are these generic processes for your set of people with the set of values to come in with, what is it that works? So we're able to fine tune. And I think we've done a pretty good job fairly satisfied at this point. But of course, we are never fully satisfied. There's always scope for improvement. Yeah, totally agree. I think continuous improvement is at the core of it, right? I mean, most uh, companies that innovate and thrive on bringing products faster to market are continuously iterating and doing what really works for them. So personalization and continuous improvement is super important. Rajesh, a lot of engineers will be tuned into this podcast. Will obviously be very curious to know what does Bukuvarung's technology roadmap look like? Are there any changes you see being made in the tech architecture to scale? Yeah, I mean, I can share a few examples. So to start with, our tech stack, you know, the back end is Java, front end is React or Android, we do Kotlin. And uh, definitely like, you know, from the time the app was launched to the time that we are now, uh, scale numbers have increased. And so I will try to share some very concrete examples, right, which people have probably seen in their own experiences. Like one is our data architecture. If I look at what we're doing and now versus what we were doing earlier. So we had like a architecture that was Airflow based and we would often find times uh, that we were trying to manage the service ourselves. It would run into operational issues uh, now and then. And we said, let's look at what are those bottlenecks and let's try to build a architecture for like 20x scale, right? What does a new architecture look like? And what are all the use cases additional to just the use cases that are given to you, right? So we looked at like a Kafka-based architecture and also being able to process data and even real-time processing, like having the ability, right? I mean, we maybe defer the implementation, but the architecture is flexible enough that we could do that. And we can also use some of these patterns like the Kafka-based infrastructure to then say, okay, now I want to scale up microservices architecture to say, instead of having a synchronous call, if I want to make it asynchronous, then I can then use the event sourcing kind of pattern I can use to decouple it and make uh, my sync calls asynchronous. I can take my larger transactions and in case someone's making a big synchronous call, those things will not scale, right? Maybe initially people did that, but then you need to break it into smaller pieces like a saga pattern, right? Like these are the standard things for any engineers tuning in. The other common patterns are like, you know, things like CQRS, which is like a read and write isolation. So you separate out your read and write paths so that you don't get impacted, right? By the issues that come because of the read on the write path. So these are some common patterns that we are trying to do and optimize as we speak, because when you get started, but probably not started with the optimal architecture. So these are just some examples. There are many more, but I'm just highlighting a few common ones just to give you like a flavor of what are the types of problems that once you move beyond like the zero and phase, 
uh, you have to catch up with many of these parts of it. And then in some cases, we will also look at things like these days, one of the things I make sure is when we're planning, if a service needs to be used as more than one squad or you know some dependency, we, may, we build it out as a common. These are some of the things that matter for us to kind of scale to the next level. Rajesh, another theme that has emerged over the last couple of years is tech debt. And very curious to know, how do you go about tech debt at Bukuwarum? How often are upgrades and modifications made to the tech stack? And how do you make sure it doesn't really affect developers' velocity and productivity? Because like you said at the start, one of the values at Buku is speed. And you've got to make things happen fast. So it's very important that we maintain our velocity and productivity. So we'd love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, this one is like one of those counterpoints in some sense or the alternate thoughts, like how do you balance good engineering practices along with velocity? It's a hard challenge. And the reality is when you start your startup, you can't have perfect engineering. You will have to optimize for velocity. So you do land up with depth and we also have it. But over time, what we've sort of also tried to do is to have you know standardized uh, patterns to handle this. Like for example, in your sprint, you can allocate either 20 or 30% of your time, depending on how much depth you have, saying towards tech depth. And then you can rationalize saying that, hey, okay, is this enough or not? Are there big bang depth features? Do I need to also uh, rank along with the product features? And then you have that discussion, right? And I think this is sort of becoming more standardized in the industry. And we don't make changes for the sake of changes, right? So even if you are trying to make incremental uh, improvements, which is really the way we make these changes. We don't try to do big bang changes. They're very risky. So those incremental improvements may not disrupt your flow, which could be the concern saying, hey, if I'm going to do a big bang change to this, what happens to my velocity? So we definitely try not to do it. We'll take it in small steps and we'll plan it out more clearly to see the ROI on if it needs to be done, when it needs to be done, right? And balance it out. But yes, we are very conscious of that. And it should not become a problem that the tech tab has crept up so much that your systems are kind of going down, right? We have very stable systems. We're very sensitive to that. We keep this in mind. But at a certain point, once you've reached, I think we also need to start building that culture where you don't really take tech tab, right? Because the reality is you will never get the time to fix it. So why do you want to take a tech tab? I mean, people do. Of course, there are situations where you need to. But slowly kind of build that culture where do it right the first time, right? Of course, now... Right also definition will change because at a scale X, right is something at a scale Y, right is something else. But for what you know, sometimes people cut corners. Those sort of things only means that you piled up more work and then you're not able to catch up. You already had a depth in the past. So the balance is important, I think. And we have that baked in at some level, you know, in our sprint planning. No, one of the very interesting things that you spoke about is not disturbing the state of flow of the team. And I'm very curious as an engineering leader, how do you ensure that you and your team are always in the know? I'll tell you where I'm coming from. A growing engineering team combined with various project tools they use, like for example, Jenkins, Jira, GitHub, a lot of times means that the visibility of work is lost. Is this somehow addressed in workplace values that Bukuwarang has cultivated today? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. And it's very easy as the organization scales up, everybody's moving fast. After a while, uh, you're like, hey, what's going on? Who's working on what that happens? So we try to address some of this. I won't say it's perfect, but we definitely try to mitigate many of these. So we have like an internal, for example, like a shift 
uh, Slack channel. We encourage folks to post on that whenever they ship something. So, I mean, you could be working on a lot of things, but if it's not going to production, you know, what's, what's the point? And we also post like the release notes. You know, we have different squads that we operate in. Each one has its own like business owner, engineering owner, product owner, all of them, and any other support function that are needed to run in that. And they'll be shipping some part of it in the sprint. Let's say they have their own sprint. And when they, they're done with that sprint, they'll post the release notes saying, hey, this is all was shipped. And then we'll also do a demo and everybody's invited to the demo so that it's like a show and tell moment. You can see what went in. People are aware. People can ask questions and everybody knows what is happening at that point in time. And if folks are not available, videos are also made available offline. And uh, apart from that, this is for the project squads themselves. They do a weekly review, you know, and people are invited who are interested where what is each function kind of doing on so that all the stakeholders are informed, leadership can also kind of join that. And apart from that, we also do like monthly tech reviews with our leadership so that we are able to, again, summarize from another point of view saying, hey, this is what the tech teams, because in an engineering team, I also want to make sure the visibility is there because in the other forums, it's like everybody coming together, right? Everyone's saying small, small bits. We do a very focused tech review with the leadership. That has worked so far. In future, we could also look at, you know, folks like PPMs, maybe sending out status mails and so on. Right now, we don't do that, but there are opportunities. So these are the mechanisms I've seen also used uh, elsewhere, and it seems to be okay. I haven't heard concerns on visibility of what is happening. Awesome. That's a wrap on our podcast, Rajesh. Thank you so much for joining this has been fun. We've discussed quite a bit. We started off by discussing all things zero to one. We talked about PMF. We talked about solving for engineering scale. We dwelled into a little bit of hiring and engineering culture at Bukuwarang. We talked about solving for tech debt. We spoke about the architecture, the stack as well. So thanks a lot for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Adil. Thank you so much. It was a really engaging and exciting set of questions. And your enthusiasm kind of rubbed off well on me or two. So. Thank you so much.